How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week, we hope. We've reached number 50, half a hundred. They said it wouldn't last, but here we are. Right off the top, we're going to do something a little bit different. We have a high school coach coming onto the show. He's the head coach at Isidore Newman High School in New Orleans, the Fighting Greenies. Coach Stewart, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thank you guys uh, so much for having me on. I really do appreciate it. Great. Well, off the top, congrats uh, on the win last Friday night. I was able to see some highlights on YouTube. Great win there. Yeah, no, it was. That's, uh, you know, that I guess for us is, is our rivalry game, per se, going back, goodness, uh, almost 50 years. That was actually the most points we'd scored there since 1993 when uh, Peyton was the quarterback. We played country day. So good rivalry game. It was a great atmosphere. And you know, coming out of COVID and the pandemic, it uh, felt normal and uh, felt a lot better and really just so excited for the kids. So it was good. We've got a lot to work on. Uh, Hurricane Ida put us back a little bit. We're still kind of installing, but I uh, was really happy just for the community and the kids. And uh, it, it was a nice start. It's good to be 2-0, and but it'll only get tougher from here. Yeah, I wanted to touch on that a little bit before we get to football. Hurricane season, especially in that area, has got to be such an anxious time. How did Ida impact your players, the families, just your schedule? Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, you know, we're still, I think to start, still coming out of the pandemic where, you know, we still weren't meeting. We still were, you know, doing as much virtual stuff and walkthroughs. And especially when you're talking about installing offense and things like that, it's very challenging. You know, we were still limited what we could do. And all of a sudden, when the storm comes up, you down here, you can kind of get a little lull thinking, oh, we're going to be okay. All of a sudden, we started realizing it probably wasn't going to be okay. So we kind of rushed in, had a jamboree against a really good opponent, and uh, said bye to the players actually in the huddle and said, I don't know when I'm going to see you again. And uh, they all uh, we hustled back, got off the bus, and scattered across the country. Uh, you know, we lost two weeks of everything, and you know, we were able to communicate. But locally, I think you know, for us, a lot of wind family out. Uh, I was without electricity for nine days. Well, the throwback lifestyle per se for me, but we got through it. The kids came back. We're fortunate. Some of the kids, I think you know, did lose a lot of their belongings. Some of the communities really got hit hard. But down here, we were okay. I think it just stalled us and. 
you almost had to pick back up with your install. Uh, I was like day one. Okay, here we go. Day one install and go through it. And we've been able to pull from the menu and add a little each week. But it set us back, but just more appreciation for football. And, you know, we're going to have an eight-game season. We thought it was going to be 10. And we actually played a team from Homa that uh, really got ravaged. The team we played two weeks ago, they still weren't in school. They still had no electricity. And they had to get a police escort and get home before curfew just to play. So a lot of communities got hit worse than we did. Very tough. You're never used to it. But um, I'm just you know blessed to be back working with these kids. Well, it sounds like you're going to learn a lot about each other in adversity. And I think in the long run, as long as everybody came through it okay, uh, it's going to be a great experience to kind of lean on when things get a little tough. Now, you're originally from that area. Uh, you went to Tulane. You played for Tommy Bowden. Uh, Rich Rodriguez, I think he brought in the spread offense. I mean, you guys were one of the first programs to really use that. How did those two influence your coaching style? You know, I'm not just saying it. They were unbelievably huge. I think in my development um, at the time as a lineman, uh, I had uh, played two years uh, under Buddy Kevins and great offensive line coach in Larry Zerline and knew a lot about your traditional pro, you know, zone running schemes, your traditional drop back. So, being able to see how he implemented the spread, you know, from day one, I think was an unbelievably huge influence. Just, I think the biggest thing with them was the way they went about everything. Everything was faster. Everything was up tempo. There was huge attention to detail, but I never thought an offense could go that fast. You know, the biggest influence as a lineman was to see the creativity with how you could run a spread offense. And that really was the first one that, you know, why were you running his own read and, Really, it was more about, you know, understanding the box count, getting rid of the ball if you're a quarterback, um, quicker decision-making, the tunnel screens, and, and, and ability to throw vertically. And, you know, it was such a culture shift. It was so fast where, you know, we were two and nine years in a row, won seven games, and I think we went undefeated. I think it was all about the mentality and the tempo. You hear a lot about that, and, and the kids still make fun of me because I quote them so much, tempo, tempo, and I'm still out there doing signs. I got that from Coach Rod. I think that that's still the fastest way to process information for kids. And, um, you know, in, in my heart, I'm still a spread guy that, you know, if you can get in 10 personnel and, you know, run your your, your quicks and your keys and, you know, have some innovation in the run game and um, really go as fast as possible, it lends itself to a lot of points and kids have lots of fun. So uh, I took over here right after Hurricane Katrina, and it was really the first thing I did was go to the spread. And we fine-tuned it. You know, we've grown. Uh, obviously, the game's grown. But uh, just the other night, you saw Arch running. Same stuff we did at Tulane. Just a little bit of cross-motion zone read with, you know, Billy throws some bubbles on it. And still good to this day uh, with uh, defensive ends that crash and whatnot. He had in some tunnels. So, you know, both of them. And I think also Coach Bowden's ability to delegate to Coach Rod. Uh, I remember back in the day, he was such a good head coach that he knew how special he was. Uh, and I think, you know, one of my biggest memories is, you know, on his last day going to his office saying, man, if this school doesn't hire Rich Rodriguez as a head coach, I'm going to make him the highest paid coordinator in the country. And he did that. And they just worked so well together. And, um, yeah, just an unbelievable influence on me and, uh, you know, my philosophy. Well, they certainly changed the game. I mean, for just college, high school, and now it's, you know, into the pro game. So, uh, yeah, that was a pretty influential time. Going back even further to high school, you played with Cooper. You played with Peyton at Newman. Uh, you have a pretty unique perspective on just like the, what I call them as like the royal family of football. How do you describe the just the family as a whole? I mean, we see that, you know, they're all over TV, maybe Archie and 
His wife will be at games at uh, Peyton and Eli are doing their thing on Monday night. So you kind of have an idea. But just from your perspective, kind of a unique place, would, how would you describe them? You know, I think the first thing is they're a very close, tight-knit family. The kind of family that you always heard, they always had, you know, breakfast together uh, in the morning. They always supported each other. It all goes back. He didn't hear it in uh, Peyton's speech, you know, just kind of the person that Archie Manning is. He was all about, I think, you know, raising his sons the right way, just the way they carried themselves, that work ethic. Going through them all, I think as playful as Cooper is, uh, oftentimes you see him, you know, he was a captain, you know, when I was a freshman and I watched him, obviously knew him my whole life growing up and he was as fierce a competitor as hard a worker as you'd find. He just was able to have a quick wit and tell a pretty good joke and he'd get you he'd get you in a in the huddle after and get you to do that. But you know, they just had a lot of love for each other. Um, they're the kind of family that you just never heard anything bad about any of the boys. They got along with everyone. They had a lot of friends uh, always surrounding them. And it wasn't just football players. I think it was, you know, all the students. And, you know, Peyton was a guy that brought in lineman night. He would, he would you know, bring those guys to watch a movie, give them ice and toner gloves, and Eli was the same way. And, but I think even to this day, they're a family that, that does things the right way. Um, they carry themselves the right way. They, they're just as they could be on Monday Night Football, they like going to Domelisi's and having a poor boy. Uh, every time, you know, he had to talk or see Peyton, gives you a big hug, shakes your hand. And, you know, like I said, a great teammate, you know, Coop uh, as well. Uh, and I think the biggest thing is that football wasn't forced uh, on the boys. They just loved the game. They played it. It just came to them naturally. I think they had a, a pretty good mom. Uh, you know, Miss Olivia is a mom, obviously, is very supportive, uh, you know, loves the boys. And I think it speaks volumes that, you know, Peyton E to this day still come back at Mardi Gras. They'll still come to games. They all sit together. They're just incredibly close, very authentic. They're a lot like you'd expect. Those are, that's how Peyton and Eli are. And like I said, there's a seriousness to cook, but great family. I owe more than I can even say to them and the support they've given me and how they give back to this day and just the best of the best that's why they uh, are where they are are you still good friends with Peyton do you still do those Manning camps together yeah we do and Peyton's been phenomenal to me uh going back to you know he's a year above me you know growing up my cousin actually and he were, were best friends growing up so I got to see him all the time and you know go over to his house and garden district and whatnot and he has been so great giving back to the program but also staying in touch. You know, I talked to him a few weeks ago. Uh, he was just checking in on Arch and whatnot. Um, we work, I've worked at Manning Camp for over a decade. Every time he comes in, he comes and works out at the school, open up the gym. And like I said, he's uh, really been a great resource for me. I, I can't tell you how much football information he's given me because it would take forever. But, yeah, a great friend, a great teammate. Um, that's what he always calls me, one of his old linemen. And it was so g- wonderful freshman year, Archer's freshman year. I went out. You know, before a week five game, and all of a sudden I saw him throwing the football with his son. I know it's going to be out there, and he had a big smile on his face, big hug, went in, and, you know, saw the kids in the locker room. And, you know, he is as grounded as it comes when he walks on this campus. Just like he's here, everybody else, just a great friend, incredibly humble with everything he's done. And he's my hero in a lot of ways just because he's been so great to me. And anytime I ask a question, he'll come back with, with 30 answers when it comes to football. And uh, he really likes giving back. So, yeah, just a, a, a great guy and uh, just, just on every level, he's been awesome to me. 
You mentioned Arch a couple of times, Coach. This is Cooper's son, uh, the the oldest of the Mannings. And for the two or three people that don't know that, I just wanted to get that out there. But Arch looks to be like he's in the same class. I mean, as far from a recruit standpoint, as Uncle Peyton, as Andrew Luck, as Trevor Lawrence. I mean, these guys are like anointed in like ninth grade. How does that impact the way you handle the team when there's so much shine on one kid? You know, I think the biggest thing is the way he carries himself makes it easy. Arch is not on social media. Uh, He's not on Twitter. He doesn't uh, like the limelight. He doesn't bring attention to himself. You know, after games, sometimes he tries to scurry off the field so he doesn't uh, talk to reporters. And not because he doesn't appreciate it. Uh, but because I think he doesn't seek out the limelight, you know, for, for kind of how we are at Newman. And I'd like to think that, you know, at most, you know, solid programs, we really don't highlight the individual. I think for all of his accolades, um, we thought we're very team centric. Uh, we don't put numbers on our practice jerseys. Um, and Arch likes that. Uh, we try and dress uniform uh, in everything that we do. And obviously, it's unbelievable in terms of the interest and the intrigue and whatnot. But this is still a 16, 17 year old kid that deserves to me, the right to, you know, be a teenager, be a student athlete and, and, and exist and not be anointed anything. I mean, there's still so much growth left, you know, as a player, as a person. So while there's pressure, I try and take that all on myself. I think it goes all on me to put him in the best position uh, to continue to grow. His mind and his football acronym is pretty special. So we've been able to really grow with him and do those things. But, you know, you talk star ratings and all the things now, it's, very different from 1993 when I was playing with Peyton and how early these offers come and, you know, how accessible these kids are. I'm thankful that he, he hasn't gotten caught up in it. You know, he never really talks about it. Most times when he goes and you see him on at a Georgia game on ESPN, things like that, hey, where are you going this weekend? I'm going to have fun. You know what I mean? And, and, and just go have fun and be a kid. And, and his teammates really like him. He's only the third junior captain we've ever had that's voted on by kids. I think that speaks volumes. You know, there's never any jealousy. There's never any of that. This is a kid that is beloved at our school and by our team for good reason. So when you love a kid like that, and he's as authentic in all the values we talked about as the Manning family. He's the same way. That makes it a lot easier. And obviously, uh, it's my job to let him grow and not put a spotlight on him and put him in positions he's not ready. Uh, hopefully a lot of great things are in front of him. But new, like I said earlier, New Orleans is a small town, and I think it's a place where – you know, thankfully at Newman, kids can grow, and it's not that huge limelight all the time. But I think his personality lends itself to allowing me and allowing us to uh, let him develop, I think, the right way. How has he made you a better coach, you think? You know, that's a really good question because he has. I think that of any quarterback I've coached, he is probably wanted more mentally and wanted more from a X and O standpoint, from a meeting standpoint, uh, than any player I've had and coached before. And um, that's been the fun part about, you know, getting to know all these coaches when, you know, a lot of the Zooms were on together. You know, he's taking notes. He's always listening, and his recall is second to none. And, you know, I think you're talking about, uh, like, again, earlier, as a spread coach, uh, this is a player that likes tight ends, that likes going under center, that likes play action fakes and pistol. He likes the mic check and setting the protection. I, you know, I have so many great stories. The other day we were going back and forth on I said, man, you write the, you mic the wrong guy. It's an odd front. Text me back, actually, coach, it's an even if you count that five check where he is. I'm like, well, you're right. And so he'll catch me on that. 
uh, a lot. We just have been able to expand offensively. Uh, we're back to going faster. You know, our cadence has changed, how we identify coverages, how we look at film. And the other thing is he likes, you know, getting with the O-line. He likes in an O-line meeting, a wide receivers. And um, it's not just me coaching him. He likes to learn about the game itself. If it's out there and it's new and it's an offensive scheme, it's, it's, it's a rave, whether it's Sark or, you know, uh, you know, any of the other guys all over, he's going to want to learn about it and do it. So it's a lot of fun. You know, hopefully I think each week we can kind of reinvent ourselves offensively because of it. Uh, just because of the kind of kid he is and the kind of recall he has. Coach, Arch just sounds too good to be true. He's like a coach's dream. (laughs) Well, I think, you know, he is a great kid, and I've had a lot of great kids, and he is fun to coach, you know, as a dream and whatnot. You know, obviously, you know, talk about the intangibles of being 6'4", 210 pounds, and, you know, how he can run, how he can throw, all the things he can do. I think the biggest thing, the most rewarding thing is, believe it or not, coaching – uh, one of my teammates' sons. He's the first teammate uh, that I ever had whose son I coached. I'd never had that before, and ironically, it's Arch. And, uh, you know, it was very surreal for me to be able to do that and that Cup had the trust in me to obviously coach him. And he's really allowed me to, you know, foster a good relationship. Go back, I've had him since pre-K uh, to really watch him grow up and do that. And I, all I can say is he is a very, very special kid uh, that – has a bright future and he's where he is because of the kind of person he is. So yeah, I, I'm not complaining, but I get him two more years. Uh, I'm going to enjoy the next, these next two seasons and we'll see what happens. But yeah, he, he's awful special coach. I read an article where you were quoted as saying that he's one of the best athletes on the team and that he actually enjoys the weight room, which is really rare because he's a quarterback. Talk about that aspect of his game, just being a, fond of of the weight room and that he's he's pretty special as far as running that 40 time yeah no he is uh he loves the weight room he loves training uh he's one of those kids that you know covid and whatnot he came back 30 pounds bigger he's really developed a good relationship he's got a personal trainer that he worked with that outside obviously our uh, our strength coach and he loves uh lifting He's a, he's a quarterback that likes to bench press. He has a bench press record for quarterback. Don't let him do it a lot because obviously it's a lot of single arm stuff. He's a weight room guy, but he likes running the ladder. He likes speed work. He likes agility. It's not just that aspect, but he really, truly enjoys the training. When we hired our new strength coach, he, he immediately got as close to him as he would to me because he wants to learn about that. And, you know, when you have a quarterback that, you know, went in there and, you know, he hit the power clean record for quarterbacks, the left tackle slapped him on the back yelling at him. Metallica's blaring. That's kind of a rarity. Definitely not a what you would think when you think about uh, one of those, you know, quarterbacks that maybe puts himself on a, a higher whatever level. But he loves that, uh, and his numbers show it. I mean, you know, again, he can bench almost, you know, whatever, 250 pounds, and his speed is is outstanding. He's he's either the fastest or second fastest kid on the team. He's legit four six. Uh, this is a kid that went out for track midway through the year and. Uh, I think he won district in a high jump, and he ran the anchor on the four-by-one. He is really fast. He's got a big trunk, but he can move. You know, he's not just a thrower. Now, he's a quarterback. I think, obviously, we're not, we're not running the veer, and I'm not looking to, you know, run him 20, 25 times a game. But he's a guard on the basketball team. He's a great baseball player growing up, and he's a scratch golfer. He can kind of do whatever he wants to do. But biggest thing is he likes to compete. Very unique, I think, some of Archie's athleticism. I think that's where it is, and that's probably the best comparison when you watch him run around. What areas of his game have you seen the biggest improvement in over the past year? What do you think he has become more advanced in? 
Uh, I think first is processing speed. He sees things so much faster. His reads, how he reads, and sometimes it's almost so fast. You know, we got to remind the receivers to get their head around because he gets it out so quickly. But, you know, his full work's always been great. He's always worked at that, but he's really cleaned that up, working uh, with David Morris at TV Country. That's looked good for him. You know, I think that, you know, we huddled a lot his first two years. Now it's all no huddle just because he can get up, really, I think, identify the defense, really know, you know, where the holes are uh, and kind of where we want to we want to push it. He is also, I guess, another thing is his ability to stay in the pocket. Uh, a lot of young quarterbacks want to spin out, run. No, he actually steps up, and uh, he had a – 75-yard touchdown last week where, you know, the outside linebacker comes, we set the protection away, and he stepped up and he ripped it, took a little bit of a shot. But as big as he is, we've been thankful that, he, you know, he, he can do that sometimes. But his pocket presence is good, as recall. And then I think the most fun thing is the actual game plan aspect. On Sunday, like all coaches, we come in, uh, work, uh, you know, through most of the day, and I actually sent him, you know, that PowerPoint for his review, uh, what he likes, what he sees, uh, every night after practice, I uh, send him his notes. And then, you know, by Wednesday, he actually helps me script, you know, the beginning of the game. You know, that, that's a rarity, but but I think that um, that's what's fun. He's able to get a feel for what he likes, what works. And we do the same thing at halftime for the openers. And um, I have so much trust in him. So I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, how much he understands it and how much he wants to be involved in it, not because he wants an ego thing or anything, but I think he wants to have mastery of those concepts so that we can be uh, as efficient as possible early. You talked a lot about his running, and like I said at the top, I mean, I watched some of the the YouTube highlights from the last game, and he really seems like likes to run through contact. Now, here's the thing. I mean, he's only 16 years old. Do you, should you caution the kid to get down or get out of bounds? Not that he yeah, listened, well, but, <laughs> but is that something that you that you need to do even at 16 years old? I think so. You know, I think it's understanding the situation. You know, if he's by the goal line and, you know, somebody's coming in, it's okay. Um, you don't want to invite contact. I think it's all about, you know, if you when to get out of bounds, when to get down, do those things. Absolutely. But again, he's a physical runner. Uh, and I think with us, if, if he gets those eight, nine carries, um, you know, it's all right to finish. Um, when he was younger, sometimes I think he, he wouldn't get his shoulder down. So, I mean, he's still 6'4". So, you know, when you're all the way up, he's got to get low. I think it's, uh, it's just learning from those moments. I know somebody told me the other day one of those things. He ran through one guy, did this. Well, a lot of it, he's a big guy. I told him, you know, in my junior year, I started at, at defensive tackle and I was 6'3 and a half. 208 you know he's already bigger than that so he's able to do it i just think he's got to be smart protect himself and uh and i think overall he does that but yeah i think that not getting in positions where you invite that contact is my job and it's important um that he knows he is a quarterback but uh, i i think he knows that and you know again look he's a powerful kid and that's just another thing that, that he can do you spoke a lot about his character, and obviously it's off the charts. I'd seen a quote, I think it may have been from you, that uh, he had a freshman plaque or an All-State trophy that was in his locker for over a year. Yeah. I mean, he didn't really post yeah. it. I mean, what, what can you tell us about that? that yeah, situation? no, I, uh, he was an All-State quarterback by the uh, Louisiana Football Coaches Association, and uh, I was stunned. It was, you know, it was really, you know, he went in and, and won that job, and I went to him and our wide receiver and gave him the plaque. I was so proud of him, and sent the picture to uh, his parents and Archie and he had a big smile on his face, hugged each other. And all of a sudden it was, you know, right around May 
And I look, and it's just still sitting there. You know, eventually he had to go into the varsity locker room because he was in the freshman locker room. And uh, at that point, I think he took it home. But, you know, that's how he is. All of the individual accolades, they just don't mean that much to him where while he's appreciative, he's just very team-centric. All of our conversations are about positional meetings and practice scripts and, you know, uniformity and um, what we can do in scale and, you know, he doesn't ever look at his numbers. You know, he's careful with the football, obviously, but I think, you know, just like you'd hear, I think, in the great ones, and while the numbers matter, you want to be efficient, you want to be a great quarterback, uh, he wants to win a state championship. We've never done that here. You know, we, we came within 14 points last season, and, you know, I think we're a better ball club, but that's his goal. You know, goodness, when he signs, I'm sure he'll have a laundry list of accomplishments that I can even imagine, but – um, I think he's about the wins, the losses, and being a good teammate. That's just how he is character-wise. I know I wasn't that way, and uh, most kids aren't. And, um, you know, I always say one of the best parts about him is he's never blessed and humbled to receive anything. To announce, he just takes it, and he's very stoic. And uh, he always says, thank you, sir, if we do anything. And like another reason, he's, just, he's, he's an awesome kid. Maybe it already is going to be one of the most high-profile recruitments of – any player in any sport without naming names, unless you want to, of course, what what are some of the more notable recruiting attempts that you've seen so far? Some of the more unusual things maybe that, you know, some coaches have tried to do. Oh man, maybe there's been a nameless coach that sent him the 20 openers uh, that day for a game. I thought that was interesting, (laughs) but uh, just to get him started to say, Hey, what they're doing. I, you know, I think that, you know, offhand, you, you talk about all the, the communication. The unique thing I would say, uh, I thought Coach Kiffin, the Instagram post, that was kind of interesting. That uh, Although I'm not on social media, it sounds like he's just following him. But I will say I do think overall I've been very uh, impressed with the respect level uh, that most coaches, if not all, have shown uh, in this process. I think because, you know, with Archie uh, Manning, they have so many connections to him. Uh, it's all been above ground. It, it's all been a deal where they've, you know, gone through me, set up time. Um, there haven't been a lot of false promises, a lot of um, bravado. It's really been about forming relationships. Uh, I think that's the biggest thing with him. That's what he's doing now is just getting to know programs, getting to know coaches. He likes actually talking to him. I think some of his favorite times, the first coach that uh, jumped on, Steve Sarkeesian, has been phenomenal just on Zooms, just you know, talking football, installs, what they're doing. You know, he did, you know, he's done that with Kirby Smart, Lane Kiff, and all those guys. He's, you know, reached out. Uh, Coach Saban, uh, they had one, and um, he just likes talking football. So it's all been above ground. I think his trips have been great. But, you know, it, it has been unique. Last year, before they could text him on September 1st, I finally had to, I actually really, true story, had to get a new iPhone. I had to upgrade because they could FaceTime him, but my, my FaceTime wasn't any good, so he'd be walking around campus talking to, you know, all you know, Jake Peets and all these guys. Nobody looked like he's crazy. So I went ahead and splurged for a new iPhone so he could sit in my office and actually talk to him. So we have had to do that. Uh, it's a lot to manage, and but you know, I will say overall, it, it's been pretty above ground. I think a lot of that's credit to the Manning family. The NIL opportunities for the kid are just. Gonna, I mean, it sounds like that's the last thing going to be the last thing on his mind or the family's mind. Just to me, with these new rules, you know, that's going to be a, a tough thing to to navigate. I think through the recruitment process. Do, would you agree with that? 
I think so, but I, I do think this. You know, Cooper Manning is an incredibly savvy businessman and everything that he's done. He, uh, as much as anyone, understands that aspect of things and, you know, how to be smart with it. I think that's the world we live in now. It's, as Archie said, it's weird for me. They're, you know, these kids are getting getting a scholarship. They're getting an education. And being in education, you know how hard that is for a lot of kids to even get that. So uh, I think it's the world we're in. But I, I think he's going to be able to really lean on Cooper and Ellen uh, in order to, you know, really learn about it and understand it and really what works for him. And, you know, I think there's a lot of, obviously, people out there that are speculating and this and that. It really is the furthest thing from his mind. If that's something that works and if that's something that, you know, fits in, with their plan, I'm sure it'll be done, and it'll be done the right way. If that's the case, because this isn't a kid that does it for that. He truly, absolutely loves football, and wherever he goes, that's he's going to play football, and he's going to try and win a national championship, and that is his number one goal. The NLI, though, it has changed the landscape of everything. When Ohio State called, uh, you know, first thing they said is, "Wow!" All of a sudden, 22-21 guys go early, so the landscape change but i think when it comes to the humbleness and the authenticity and who arch is i think he'll be a rarity in that that this is a kid that just wants to go play football and win what was it like to work with uh, obj i love him to death and he was of any player the most tireless worker i've ever had you know i always say this when you take the spotlight off and all the highlight catches that is a kid that was relentless in his pursuit of greatness. And I mean that where he scored every time he touched it. Um, he just had a drive that was unlike any other. Um, you see the athleticism, but he never took a playoff. He would stay after. He was the first player I had that really paid attention to his blocking, his route running. You know, we built everything around him and he was a winner. All he wanted to do was win. When Miami didn't offer him a scholarship, he got with his family on a Friday night and drove up in the van and won the MVP crazy they didn't even offer him but and you know i think that that was my first glimpse into okay that's what that looks like we're a kid that's the greatness part and that was you speak with his coaches everybody always talked about his practice habits and that's what i take most pride in in our locker room we have all the all-time great players and it's a picture of him practicing and um i was great to see him back he's been and selfishly as a coach he's been great uh to my family and i i've been able to go see him play uh quite a few times is you know, he and his mom, Heather, have made that happen. And he stays in touch. You know, again, I always say, love you three. And he gets back. And um, I'm awful proud of him. But he he was just a great kid. You never know where he is. He can wake up one day and say, hey, I want to go to France. And he does it. He's all over the place. But as a kid and as a person, you know, I, I just love him. And I'm awful proud of him. Coach, how many years have you spent at Isidore Newman? So this is my 23rd year at the school. It's my 16th as head coach. So the majority of my life has been spent on Jefferson Avenue. If not here, I just went right down the street to Tulane. It's been a good journey, but I've been incredibly blessed to be here. Hope they keep me around a little while longer. So is this your dream job? You don't want to go anywhere else, I would assume. Well, I always say this. You know, I do coach one year at a time. I think I'd put so much into it. Uh, it's my life's work, um, just like any coach would be. I don't think you ever want to – you never say never, not because it's not where, uh, only because I'm so focused on what I'm doing now. But, yeah, in a million years, I never thought that I'd be able to have this opportunity to you know, have the longevity here that I've had and the support from the administration. And it's awful hard to beat uh, what we have from a staff and a school standpoint. 
at my alma mater. So it would be a tough go. Uh, but I just want to give everything I have, my heart, my soul to this place, and uh, hopefully keep making making them proud and, and doing everything I can. Uh, I'd say it's about as, as close to a dream job as, as you can get, I would agree. Well, we've been asking you lots of questions about your star pupil. Out of this current senior class, do you have other guys with D1 offers? Tell us about those players. You know, oh, yeah, no, I appreciate you asking. You know, we do our, our starting tackle. Uh, Bo Bordelon uh, is actually going to sign with LSU. He's committed. His father, Ben, was a captain uh, in the mid-'90s. He's our starting left tackle. He's a four-star recruit, and he committed early, so he, he's been great. Will Randall. Our tight end, who's arched is, is ironically his best friend, uh, is a 6'4", 240-pound junior. He's a 23. You know, he holds offers from LSU and Texas and Tennessee, Michigan State, Tulane. He is phenomenal. He's a guy that you can move all over. When you look at the Kelseys and the Gronkowskis, the guy in the NFL, I think he has a chance to be that. Uh, and ironically, his father was the quarterback before Peyton Manning, as it all comes full circle, John Randall. But uh, – yeah, Will is fantastic. I think that he's going to make somebody awfully proud. And, and Mike, you can just be so creative with what you do with him as a blocker and a receiver. Uh, Kai Donaldson, um, wide receiver, he's a 23 as well. He's 6'4", 190 pounds. Uh, he's got a nice, you know, nice way of officers. Tulane, uh, Florida State, UVA. Uh, I think he has an opportunity, and uh, he's really growing. He may be a, a tight end as big as he is. And then, you know, in that class as well, lastly, Ramaj Waiters. Uh, who's a high-motor defensive tackle, plays with great leverage. He does a nice job for us. And then lastly, I should say, I think we have a little bit of diamond in the rough from Chris Hunter, who is actually the backup quarterback. He's Arch's leading receiver right now. Very young. He's a 16-year-old senior. So he's going to make somebody really happy, I think, who takes a waiver on him. So uh, we are fortunate. We've got a number of talented players at Newman and uh, to, to, to surround the quarterback with. And the next game on Friday is against whom this week? We are playing Pearl River, a 4A program, big, big, big uh, school from northern Louisiana coming in. And um, we think it's going to be a packed house. They've got a running back that's run for back-to-back 300-yard games. And, you know, they're, they're pretty stout up front. So uh, we've got our work cut out for us. I think that let's pick up today is going to be important, getting the ball out fast. So uh, we think it'll probably be our toughest test yet. And uh, we're just looking forward to playing at home at Lupin Field. Well, Coach, you've been gracious enough to answer our questions. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Uh, guys, I appreciate y'all having me. Thank you. Good luck with that state title this year. Hopefully it happens for you. Uh, I know, me too. Again, thank y'all. I really do appreciate it. So thanks again to Coach Stewart, Isidore Newman. Great, great stuff from New Orleans. Doing a great job down there. Uh, we're going to start off with what we think might be a new segment with the show. And it's going to be called Alex's Aches and Pains. Alex, what you got for us? Yeah, just some quick points before we get into some hot topics that we've got coming up on the show. Look, before the season started, I was ready to put a couple of these rookie quarterbacks into the Hall of Fame already. You remember that, right, Lou? Absolutely, yeah. They well, was, yeah. One of the best classes coming in. And they have struggled so far. I mean, we've gotten used to rookie quarterbacks lighting it up, setting the league on fire. We've gotten spoiled. I mean, for every Kyla Murray, for every Justin Herbert coming in, winning Offensive Rookie of the Year, just playing really well, I expected a couple of these rookies to, to do the same thing. But we are reminded once again that 
a rookie quarterback can't do it all by himself. This is still a, a team game. You know, you need a good team around you. Something that these young quarterbacks lack. We're looking at you, Jacksonville. We're looking at you, New York. You know, even the Patriots. Mac Jones didn't have a good game last week. I wanted to mention Cooper Cup. A guy that went to an FCS school. He went to Eastern Washington. His grandfather played in the league. He ran a 4-6. He dropped to the third round. But I just want to remind folks that it's not about running the fastest 40 time. It's about creating separation, running good routes, and catching everything that's throwing your way. Well, Cooper Cup has really clicked with Matthew Stafford. He's leading the league in receiving yards with 367 yards. He's leading the league in receiving touchdowns with five. He's also tied with Devontae Adams in receptions with 25 total. He's terrorized defenders deep on underneath routes. It just feels like every time I turn on, there's a highlight that involves Cooper Cup getting open. Want to throw praise towards this guy because, you know, rightfully so, everything that we hear right now is... Sean McVay this, Sean McVay that, Matthew Stafford that, Matthew Stafford this. I just wanted to throw praise to a guy that also deserves it, and he deserves a lot of the credit as well. And final point is the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings are 1-2, and two, but Kirk Cousins has been a revelation this year because Dalvin Cook didn't even play in Week 3. Cousins has connected on nearly 74% of his throws, 918 passing yards, 8 total touchdowns, and this is a surprising number, 0 interceptions. He's doing it without a running game. He's doing it without huge help on the from the offensive line because the offensive line has been average over there in Minnesota. But Kirk Cousins is doing his part in the Twin City. Okay, so hopefully that you know gives Alex some icy hot or some ibuprofen to kind of Deal with the pain. Deal with the aches. But that's great that you were able to get that off your chest. Speaking of giving uh, some respect and some due, you talk about Kirk Cousins, but how about Justin Jefferson coming back? You know, again, no sophomore slump. He's up there in all the, the categories. Thielen's balling out. So, yeah, it's got a, they got a good thing going there. Hopefully Dalvin Cook comes back in and does something and, and their defense can hold up some close games. But, yeah, we like uh, what's happening with Kirk Cousins. Uh, we've got some Hall of Fame talk coming up. We've got some transactions in the league, a trade, a suspended player coming back. And, of course, we've got our picks. We'll talk about some of the big games this week. And, yeah, oh, by the way, yeah, I think there is a, a big game up in New England this week. I just a small blurb we'll we'll touch on that for a second but hall of fame you know again we've got wide receivers it's a it's a wide receiver show cooper cup uh let it off but now we've got three guys eligible this year first timers let's say because there are others eligible of course andre johnson steve smith senior on Quan bolden you would run i think a poll on nfl draft blitz the website what were those numbers like and uh, what are your thoughts on those guys well andre johnson was the the runaway leader in that poll and many people believe that he will be the first wide receiver to enter the hall of fame the one thing that was really surprising to me is that steve smith kind of ran away from inquan bolden don't have a problem with andre johnson being the number one guy in this poll but i thought that steve smith and inquan bolden were going to be a lot closer Bolden only received 9% of the votes, and I really have a problem with that because I remember that rookie season 
and Anquan Bolden just set the world on fire. It, this was before the this offensive explosion in the NFL. He had over, what, like 100 receptions on that season. He won Offensive Rookie of the Year. This was before Larry Fitzgerald arrived with that team. Arizona wasn't a good team. This was before the, the Kurt Warner days. This was before they went to the Super Bowl. That wasn't a really good team. Anqua Bolden was the star of that team as a rookie. And with Arizona, I mean, he put up some huge numbers there before he left to the Ravens and San Francisco. The man deserves some respect. And I actually believe, in my opinion, it's obviously a subjective opinion, but I thought Anqua Bolden was a better player than Steve Smith Sr., not a flashy guy, right? Wasn't going to, you know, not a burner. And you talked about creating separation, being a physical guy, whatever. That's kind of, that was his game. Yeah, I think once he left Arizona, then he really wasn't a huge part of, you know, the San Francisco offense or the Baltimore offense or really, you know, wherever he played. But again, he just continued to produce. But he wasn't like a big flash. Yeah, where Steve Smith, huge personality. We still see him on TV today. Anquan Bolden, known more so for his uh, political activism, his uh, helping with the Players Association, and continues to do that in retirement. Andre Johnson basically played an anonymity in, in Houston because they just weren't a very good team, but he was an outstanding, just a tremendous receiver. While he played, I would have to say he was one of the top five receivers in, in the game. But again, when you're talking about Hall of Fame, it's always about where are you in line, right? I mean, you've got, okay, Reggie Wayne is sitting there. Torrey Holt is sitting there. To some degree, now again, you talk about Anquan Bolden, but like Heinz Ward, you look at somebody, a Cliff Branch, okay? Now this is, I mean, this is more, I guess, for the, the senior crew and, and, and people like me who remember him being like just deaf to the other teams. I mean, speed kills. This was the perfect Al Davis wide receiver. He would just crush you over the top. The problem was back then they weren't throwing the ball 35 and 40 and 50 times a game. So he only ended up with like 500 receptions in his career, but it was 17 yards a catch. He uh, played and produced in three Super Bowl wins. Yeah, you got some guys there ahead of him. Any one of those three get in before the ones that I mentioned? I think Andre Johnson is going to get in before all those guys that you mentioned. I just think there was a period of time, and you mentioned it already. You said that he was, during his prime in Houston, he was a top three, top five receiver. And that says something. Torrey Holt also had a really good run there for three to five years where he was also in that category. But I thought Andre Johnson, I think he had like seven or eight seasons where he went over a thousand yards, where he had like 75 to 80 receptions. And I, he was always that constant for that Houston team, which wasn't very good. No, I mean, they, they were they terrible. Have... And I think that that's why that's really going to work against them. I mean, who was his quarterback back then? Matt Schaub? Schaub probably had, a, you know, they really had a number of guys. He made, if you look at, you know, from a statistical standpoint, if that's, you know, that's something obviously that's going to come up. You know, Andre Johnson, you know, 1,062 receptions, over 14,000 yards, 70 touchdowns, no Super Bowl appearances. Reggie Wayne, over 1,000 catches, 14,000 plus yards, 82 touchdowns, won a Super Bowl, scored a touchdown in that game. Torrey Holt, 
920 receptions, 13,000 yards, 74 touchdowns, won a Super Bowl. Cliff Branch, like I said, he only had 500 receptions, 67 touchdowns, and three Super Bowl wins. Heinz Ward, couple Super Bowls, 1,000 receptions, 12,000 yards, 85 touchdowns. So a lot of the numbers are similar. Steve Smith, over 1,000 catches, nearly 15,000 yards, 80 uh, touchdowns, played in a Super Bowl, didn't win. Bolden, 1,076, almost 14,000 yards, 82 touchdowns. And of course, you know, he did have uh, one Super Bowl win. So, I mean, those are things that you have to look at. A lot of things just go into the, you know, I guess the, the politics of the Hall of Fame. But if you're just looking at it strictly a player, the best player, you'd have to say that Andre Johnson would be up there. But in looking at the whole thing, including championships, did you make your team better? One of the things you always hear is, you know, can the story of the NFL be told without you? Or do you need to include that person? Then I got to believe Cliff Branch is in there because, again, for a a 10-year period, as far as a deep threat, somebody that was just going to take the top off your defense and just crush you, he was a pretty pretty deadly guy, and especially playing for the Raiders, uh, whether it was with Plunkett and Stabler. I mean, he just was a guy that was going to, you had a game plan for him. Yeah, I, I'll say Andre Johnson, probably overall the best player, but I think he's definitely going to have to wait behind several of these guys. I'm sure Steve Smith and Anquan Bolden are going to have to wait, wait, and wait. They're going to have to be patient because the offensive explosion and the wide receivers are just not getting the the respect that I believe they deserve. Well, they are. I think it's just there's so many of them. And the fact that there's, you know, there's there's only so many people that go in each year. So, I think that's kind of, you know, if there's a limitation on how many guys get in, then you know, it's not like, well, geez, we're, we're putting in all these wide receivers. What about the other positions? Again, you've got the human element in this because guys have to vote. Somebody has to present them. Somebody has to sell them to the entire committee. And Super Bowls are important. We've seen that over the years where guys have had to wait, especially with the guys with zero championships. We have a trade. C.J. Henderson, first round pick, moving on. Alex, I know you had some things about this uh, where they got Dan Arnold and a third-round pick. Carolina gets Henderson and I think a fifth-round pick. I think the biggest thing here is for announcers that I've noticed this is that they really had some issues with the Darnold to Arnold connection and getting that out of their mouth during the Carolina game. So uh, they're thankful for this trade, but I know you had a, a different look on this. I got in touch with our friend John Shipley, who covers the the Jacksonville Jaguars for SI with a Jaguar report. And I just asked him, like, why did Urban Meyer give up on C.J. Henderson so quickly? Because I want to remind folks that Henderson was drafted ninth overall last year. He was having a really good year through the first eight games. He was one of the most promising players on the roster. And then... In the second half, he went down with an injury, missed the season, and it seems like he got into the doghouse with Urban Meyer and the new coaching staff. And it seems to be, obviously, the injuries and also off-the-field issues. John Shipley basically says some uh, off-the-field issues, depression, he's dealing with some stuff that he dealt with when he was a Florida Gator, and it seems like the Jaguars didn't do their due diligence into that stuff. So 
They decided to abandon ship. They thought it was best for C.J. Henderson to get traded and start fresh somewhere else because it just it wasn't working in Jacksonville. But I don't remember a last time that a team gave up on a top 10 pick this quickly. And you had a name in mind that, that you wrote to me. Yeah, Josh Rosen. I mean, obviously, when you think about quarterbacks and so forth, top 10 pick, they moved off of him, obviously. But they, I mean, they had kind of a reason to. You know, Kyler Murray was sitting there. I don't know if Jacksonville, other than they wanted him out of there, had that kind of reason. Like they had a replacement. They, I don't think they have another corner on that team that's going to be as talented or anything like that. Now, obviously, it's worked for Darnold, you know, <laughs> change of scenery and so forth. I don't know that Sam had any emotional issues or anything like that, but I'm sure playing for the Jets, would you you might get some, or especially for Adam Gase. There's a rebirth of Sam Darnold. I'm probably one of the few people that still believe that Sam Darnold could be a good quarterback in a different situation, in a different offense. I don't remember a quarterback being really unfortunate to be with the New York Jets. They drafted him to be their Joe Namath, their hero. They believe that they're going to win the Super Bowl, but they didn't do anything to surround him with any talent. He didn't have a good offensive line with the Jets. He didn't have any weapons. He didn't have a running game. They didn't have a good defense. And then he was stuck with Adam Gase as his head coach who didn't use his strengths to the best of his ability. And I started to think, I mean, Adam Gase is one lucky son of a gun because he wasn't able to develop Ryan Tannehill. Tannehill left for the Titans. He turned out to be a, a pretty good quarterback there. Same thing is happening with Darnold now. You know, Gaze didn't do anything to get the most out of him. He goes to Carolina and he's lighting it up during those three games. We'll find out more about Darnold because obviously Christian McCaffrey is injured. He's out with the hamstring injury. He'll miss a couple of weeks and now teams are going to you know, focus on Darnold in that passing game. We'll find out more. And Darnold isn't perfect by any means, but the only thing is Matt Rule and Joe Brady, they understand that Sam Darnold, let's get him on the move. You know, let's get him moving outside of the pocket. We don't have a good offensive line. So him throwing on the run, on those bootlegs, he's most effective with that. Adam Gase never did that. So it's nice to see you know, Carolina just utilizing him to the best of his ability. He has already thrown for over 300-plus passing yards in back-to-back games. He never did that in 38 games that he played with the Jets. Those numbers tell it all. I mean, those are just some staggering numbers out there. And, And the way it's heading right now, if Darnold continues to play this well, Joe Brady is going to be a head coach in 2022. Right. I mean, get the ball out quick, move a little bit. You know, I mean, I don't know that it's that hard. You know, this kind of leads into Nagy and Justin Fields. You know, get the ball out quick, get out of the pocket. Let's get moving. Let's let's help this offensive line, right? And do some favors to the the young player that needs to get some confidence going and, and get moving. And again, I I've been a Nagy supporter, a Nagy apologist. I don't know if I can be that anymore. You know, when you've got, you know, big name quarterbacks that dissect the game coming out and telling you that he's not doing Justin Fields any favors with this offense that he that they threw out there against the Browns. Now, granted, the Browns have a great defense, great pass rush, but they're not the 85 Bears. They're not the, they're not the steel curtain, okay? 
So you can't expect the dude to you know, take this five, seven step drops and wait for guys to get open when you don't have that many guys that can win. You've got Allen Robinson, you've got Darnell Mooney. Let's get the ball out quick. Let's get it moving. Let's utilize screen, you know, like a, like swing passes to the running back. So I don't mean to sound like an expert. I'm not an offensive expert. I'm not an X and O's guy. But just when you hear David Carr, Orlovsky, uh, all these guys come out and saying how Nagy's not really helping him out. Carson Palmer saying the same things. Granted, they're all quarterbacks, and they want to believe in the kid, and he's got amazing skills. Get away from Gaze, and you do well. I think even the Broncos, even after that year that Manning had uh, under him, so to speak, even though it was Peyton coaching himself and coaching the offense, they won the Super Bowl the next year after Gaze was gone. So I think I don't know that we're going to see Adam Gaze anytime soon in the NFL again. There was another transaction out there, and I'm going to be accused of being a homer here in just a few seconds by Alex, but Josh Gordon. Uh, was reinstated by the league, by the commissioner, come out of the drug program again, and no sooner than he does, rushes to Kansas City to sign a contract. Does this say more about the Chiefs' lack of a number two receiver or that Josh is going to be that guy? He's going to be able to play, even though he hasn't played in two years. He's 30 years old. I mean, I'm torn on this one. I can't see how Josh Gordon can be the guy at this point. No, he's not going to be the guy. No. He'll still be option number three, which they haven't been able to fill, right? You've got Hill. You've got Kelsey. Who's going to be that third guy to kind of take Sammy Watkins' role where he can can take the top off the defense? Or if you need him to, he's going to catch that third down ball. He's going to be a guy that can win one-on-one matchups. Can he do that? Now, I'm guessing even if he can, even if he's in sh- can get in shape, Learning that offense and getting on the same page with Mahomes, I think he'll be on the practice squad for at least three weeks. All right. Usually you're Mr. Pessimistic on this show. You know, I'm hyping somebody up and you're like, Seriously? All right. Let's, let's. We're going to go there. I'm the pessimist. Yeah. You're the pessimist when it comes to the show, except for the Chiefs. <laughs> except for the Chiefs. Because the Chiefs cannot, cannot do anything, anything wrong. Come you know? on. Their now. defense stinks, but you stick up for I'm, them. You know? I'm it's a like, realist. Y- the defense is built to play with a lead, to get after the pass, to throw different things. Hey, if you get, the, they're not run stoppers. Yeah, I'll give you that. I mean, no, they're never going to be a great defense. I just don't. I I wouldn't put it to where they are like in the bottom half of the league. Right now, they're atrocious. Low. I mean, absolutely. They have. They can't. They can't stop it. But they did make plays. They give them every opportunity against the Chargers. They got off the field. I think three times in a row, three consecutive three and outs. The Chiefs went up and down the field. They just kept giving the ball away. So anyway, but Josh Gordon here, I think it's going to take some time for him to even get acclimated to where he is. So this should light a fire under Pringle, under Hardman's butt, uh, D-Rob. Somebody's got to be able to take the heat off of 10 and 87. This is me being realistic. I don't think we'll see Josh Gordon on a regular season roster. He's going to be on the practice squad for a couple of weeks. The Chiefs are going to realize that he can't help them. They're going to release him. I think this is going to be like a a Le'Veon Bell situation. It's going to blow up in their face a little bit. They have nothing to lose here. They're bringing him in. They want to see if, you know, he can get in shape. He can learn the offense. But I'm really 
pessimistic when it comes to Josh Gordon. I hope he gets his life together. I really do, because I think that's a lot more important. That's a lot deeper than just playing football out there. I can't imagine Josh Gordon being on on the 53-man roster for the Chiefs. Pessimistic. Come on, Alex. That that hurts. That really cuts to my core. So we've got some amazing games. I mean, so far, it's just this young season. You know, ratings are probably going through the roof. I know it has, you know, with several of these these, uh, individual games, the Sunday night game, Monday night game, the late games on uh, CBS and, and, and Fox. Green Bay over San Francisco, I mean, that was a game. I mean, that was, you know, at the end, so compelling. 37 seconds, no timeouts. Aaron Rodgers, how did he do that? I mean, seriously, was it a San Francisco's defense problem or was it just Rodgers and 17 being too good? You know where I stand on this. The 49ers defense yeah, choked. I do. They choked. I, I'm leading you into that. I'm trying to I make know. you sound like the pessimist. I, I know. They're, they choked. With all due respect to that offense and to Aaron Rodgers, he made a couple of nice throws, and obviously the kick was, was great. The 49ers just laid an egg there. They, they should have won, should have stopped them. I mean, that, that should have never been that close. And You know where I stand on this, no question about it. But my favorite quarterback, Matthew Stafford, the guy who I uh, – just, oh, now he's your favorite. No, okay. no, no, no. I'm like, obviously, if you could see me right here, he's that my was favorite. The sar- that was sarcasm, gang. That was, that was, I can feel the sarcasm dripping. Yeah, and you know how I was pumping him up during the offseason, how I was doubting him all along the way. Well, him and Sean McVay are just hitting their stride. And, you know, whatever Sean McVay, he was gloating in the offseason. He knew Matthew Stafford was going to be his new shiny toy he's delivering for him because hey they they just beat a really good bucks team yeah i mean and they and it made it look easy as far as scoring the points uh, deshaun jackson you know again summoning his inner youth but uh, it just seems like uh, he's always going to be fast so god bless them and then that offensive line i think is doing an amazing job of keeping stafford clean yes he can move and he's got that kind of skill and he can throw off platform and everything but he's getting protection and you mentioned uh cooper cup at the at the top i mean and i don't know that anybody's running better routes than he does he always seems to be open so you talk about throw we talk about a couple of those throws that stafford made but and their throws that Rodgers made. How about Lamar's throw on fourth and nineteen at the end of the game to hit Sammy Watkins to set up that sixty-six yard field goal by the opera singer uh, Justin Tucker? I mean, that was a great throw. Again, is that a failure on the defense, or did Lamar just make a superhuman play? Look, the defense once again choked. In the NFL, there's no way that you should allow. For that completion to happen. If it's 4th and 5, 4th and 10, that's fine. It was 4th and 19, Lou. We're in the NFL and a wide receiver should not be that wide open. Because, I mean, if he's running in the secondary, you've got to have like two people on him. I, once again, I, the defense failed. And once again, there seems to be a theme. I mean, the 49ers didn't do... What they were supposed to do at the end of the game, same thing happened in the Ravens game. That was atrocious. I mean, what are these defenses doing? I I don't know. I mean, I could call a better play on 4th and 19, and the game would have been over. Justin Tucker wouldn't have had that field goal at the end of the game. I guarantee you that. 
So twice now in Detroit, the the record field goal happens. For years, that you know, sixty-three yard field goal, the old NFL films, Tom Dempsey with the half a foot for the Saints nailing a sixty-three yarder, and that record seemed like it was gonna stand forever. It was eventually broken. But then now Tucker with sixty-six, the doink off the crossbar, and it goes up and over, which you know, shooters bounce, say what you will. But there was another way. The the Raiders and the Dolphins, and the Raiders ended up winning the game, but Jacoby Brissett hits a four and 20 in overtime to keep the game alive because then they kick a field goal to tie it up before the Raiders eventually win at the end. I don't know that Jacoby Brissett, you can put him in the same same sentence as Lamar Jackson and, and Aaron Rodgers, but I'm guessing you would say this is a failure by the defense. That should not happen in the NFL. I mean, you expect things to happen like that on the high school field. You expect things to occur in a college football game. In the NFL, those things should not happen. I mean, the defensive coordinators are just getting owned at the end of the game when they're, you know, throwing out their prevent defenses out there and letting these the wide receivers and tight ends run, you know, wide open. They should know the situation. It's almost like a Hail Mary play. Why don't you put all of your secondary guys, all of your linebackers, on that plateau, like on that 15 to 20 yard line, like the quarterback shouldn't even be able to compete that. Let him throw it short. Let a wide receiver pick up those yards. Let him make a play. But he should not be running wild somewhere between those 15 and 20 yards. He should have like a, you know, a wall of these defenders sitting there. I mean, defensive coordinators should be put on notice. And after plays like that, I would be a tough head coach. I would be a tough owner. I I wouldn't mind giving them the axe, you know, after we lost the game like that. On the spot, in the locker room, turn in the whistle, coach. Yeah, it just seems like, you know, guys are biting on like a double move when you know they, they if they don't get to the sticks, the game is over, man. You know, linebackers maybe not dropping far enough. You know, Fred Warner looks like he's, you know, the ball just barely gets over his hands. But what's he doing playing so close to the line of scrimmage at that time? They've got no timeouts. If you tackle him in the field of play, that might be it. You know, you might get another play. You know, maybe they 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 spike it real quick or, or or whatever. But you know, again, make them make the plays, right? Don't give them something. So yeah, these it seems like it's getting more frequent. Also, I mean, teams, you know, whether it's analytics or whatever, are going for it a lot more on fourth down. And maybe just the fact that they work on that a little bit more is helping the offenses. But yeah, I'm with you there as far as the defenses go. That should never happen. And if it does, it's just got to be rare. You go back to, what was it, last season? When, uh, who was it, the Raiders against the Jets? Like the last play of the game, they get hit with the, like a 50-yard touchdown pass over the top. You know, and it just, it seems to continue. So I don't know what these defensive coaches are preaching. I don't know if they're, the players are not in the right position or they're not listening to the call. But yeah, you're absolutely right. So we've got this little game up in uh, the Boston area in Foxborough this weekend. Standalone game, Sunday night. Tom Brady going back to New England to play against Bill Belichick. Now, both teams come off really bad losses for themselves. Obviously Tampa fancies themselves as, you know, Super Bowl favorite, if you would, and they kind of got it handed to them in LA. And 
New England, they didn't look too good at home against New Orleans. I mean, they looked really bad. Coming into this game, who do you give the advantage to? Of course, I, I think at any time, you know, you got to give advantage Brady. You don't have to give him an extra chip on his shoulder. This just looks like a setup for a real beatdown. I just see Brady is just going to, to prove a point, just not talk about it or anything else, but just try to score as many points as he possibly can, regardless of what the score or game situation is. And he's going to try to, I think, humiliate the guy that kind of humiliated him, not making a true offer before he left. I think the one thing that's going to motivate him even more than facing Bill Belichick, it's, I mean, they lost to the Los Angeles Rams, and that's going to motivate, you know, they want to get back on the winning track, and that's going to motivate Tom Brady. That didn't sit well with him. So, it's unfortunate, but the Patriots are in his way. He's going to Foxborough, some a place that he knows really well, where he played for the last 20 years. This is going to get bad. I'm not sure that, I think the line right now is minus 7.5. I was debating to make this game my lock of the week. It's too rich for me. I think I think the Bucks are going to win, but I'm not sure that they will cover. It's a tough pick for me. I was kind of going back and forth a, a little bit on it, but... I agree with you. The Bucks' offense is too good. Gronk is playing at a really high level. Mike Evans got involved last game against the Los Angeles Rams. They still have Chris Godwin. Even with Antonio Brown out, I mean, that offense has too much firepower. And I just, I can't imagine how Mac Jones is going to be able to win against Tom Brady. Yeah, not not feeling that at all. Yeah, I guess it looks like a sucker bet. So, you know, odds are Patriots will keep it close somehow, some way. God, I just can't see it happening. So I'm not going to, uh, I'm going to stay away from that one. A couple of huge divisional matchups. Now you've got Arizona at the Rams. Both teams are undefeated. And then you've got the Raiders going to LA to play the Chargers. I'm not picking Arizona and the Rams, but I am going to pick one of my picks this week is going to be the Raiders. I'm taking the cheese here. I normally don't like to go with road teams, but in this case, I think I'm going to do it. I'm going to go with Derek Carr. They're getting three and a half. Even though they're on the road, I've got three out of my four road teams. So I, I don't know what I'm, I'm smoking here. I, it's, it may just be the pessimism coming out, Alex. That Maybe that's it. I just can't buy these favorites. Anyway, I'm going to go with the Raiders in that one. Last week, uh, my picks were one and two. Tennessee was the winner. San Francisco, good speed at the end. We talked about that. And New England was never really in it. New Orleans just crushed them. That was just a bad pick. Four and six overall. Alex, I think you may have, what was your lock of the week? Can you remind us? Yeah, my lock of the week. Obviously, I got one right. It's the Monday night game. I said that the Dallas Cowboys were going to win big against the Eagles, and that's what happened. So I got on the winning track a little bit. I was 0-2 before. Now I'm 1-2. and I'm bringing it this week. I was really tempted to, again, maybe take the Bucks over the Patriots. I was thinking the Cardinals are going to beat the Rams. I was thinking that was one of my games that I was going to go with. But I'm going to take the safe bet. At the top of the show, I praised Kirk Cousins. The, the Vikings and the Browns, the Browns are minus two on the road. I'm going to take the Cleveland Browns. I think they get it done. I think they cover by a touchdown on the road. That's my lock of the week. I'm going with Cleveland. 
Very good. I've got uh, three other games. I won't go that deep into it. Uh, I'm going to take Detroit plus three at Chicago. I just can't see how Chicago is favored over anybody right now. And Detroit is going to fight to the end. So I'm just going to go with them at this point. Baltimore is... I think at one point underdog at this point at Denver. I'm not buying Denver at all. Yes, they're much better. Bridgewater's there. You hate to say they haven't beaten anybody. They'd be three NFL teams. But anyway, I'm going to go with Baltimore to win a second consecutive road game. And then the third one, uh, Green Bay is a six and a half or seven point favorite at home against Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh does not look good. Ben, again, for all the offseason talk about him getting in shape and so forth, and he is, no question, but he's still throwing it way too much. And the defense isn't even playing well. So I think Rodgers has got this team starting to roll. So I'm going to go with them. So those are, those are my four, uh, four and six, looking to get over 500 finally. But yeah, that's it, Alex. You got anything else? I can't believe Denver is still getting disrespected. Forget yeah, about Bridgewater. I mean, they that will. defense, I mean, you still disrespect them. I, I just want to remind you, uh, Mr. Pessimist, Mr. Realist, the Chiefs are in last place in the AFC West, you know? Let's just they put are, that yeah. into perspective. For the fir- I think the first time since, like, 2015. I mean, it's 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 been a while. Yeah, they're not in a good place. They, you know, they're turning the ball over, not playing well defensively. Mahomes making some uncharacteristic mistakes. So, yeah, I got to get the, the ship Righted. They've got. They're in Philadelphia this week, and they're a big favorite, which I don't see. I think that's probably going to be a lot of money on Philadelphia in that one. Yeah, we'll see what happens. But I'm glad that you're giving the Raiders some respect against the Chargers. I mean, knowing that they're undefeated, and I, I can't believe that you're going with the Raiders in that game. I mean, you hate the Raiders. I do. I and I, I like the way Carr is playing, though. I think those receivers that everybody was given flag are, are kind of coming into their own with Ruggs and Edwards and Renfro. The defensive line is playing outstanding. They're getting they're getting pressure without having to blitz much. So let's see what happens. I know the Chargers are good, but uh, I think the Raiders with the three and a half. I think that's a that's a good one. All right, gang. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe if you get the opportunity. Thank you to Coach Nelson Stewart of Isidore Newman High School and uh, having the patience to tell us all about his player, Arch Manning. And for Alex, I'm Lou. Till next week. Peace.